everyone. Welcome to Job Jumpers, the podcast for those of us who jump from crappy job to crappy job. You are with me, your host, Connor Mack. Uh, today on the show, I have my, my new buddy, Dan D. We talk about his work in the nonprofit field, uh, doing admin work and other things. Uh, we talk about the ever-prevalent myth of entry-level positions that hire you um, on the premise that this is uh, you know, a job for people who are just entering the field, who don't have experience, but then they re- require uh, tons of experience and, and you know, so, sometimes impossible levels of experience. Uh, so so that, that's interesting because that's something that I have dealt with a lot too in my life, in my journey. Um, but yeah, it's a great long chat, and I feel like we have we didn't even scratch the surface. So I think we'll we'll definitely be having Dan on again. Uh, so I don't want to keep you waiting. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dan D. All right, everybody, welcome to Job Jumpers. Uh, today on the show, I have my new pal Dan D. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Connor. Thanks for having me. Um, how are you? Good, good. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, my pleasure. I'm, I'm doing all right. I, uh, I, I, I went on vacation last week. Um, I went to uh, Canada. It was my first time. Um, I mean, my my first time using my new passport that I bought for um, for a trip that was canceled in summer of 2020. Uh, so it was it was exciting to get out of the country, even if it was like a little. A little bit, not you know, uh, wasn't as far as I, I hoped to go. But um, since coming back, I've just been kind of like all out of sorts. So it's been kind of an adjustment, um, getting back into things and kind of getting reorganized, which isn't easy for me, anyways. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. I was just talking with some folks the other day about um, going to Canada and. Um, you know, I've been a few times, but we were having a discussion about like favorite airports in the world, uh-huh. and um, a colleague of mine was like asking me about like what Canadian airports have you been to, and I was like, oh, you know what? I don't think I've ever actually. I've only ever like driven into Canada. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, yeah, it's a cool place. I definitely want to go back within the year, trying to like plan out my trips, but it's on yeah. the list. I want to go back to Montreal for sure. So. Oh man, yeah. I mean, I, I, so you know. My my girlfriend and I we went to Montreal and then we went to Quebec City for for a little bit. Um, I mean both were both were awesome. It was really cool to be there because like I I had only ever gone out of the country. I went to uh, Jamaica when I was in fourth grade and that was it. You know and, and that was like uh, you know that was like a uh, like a very American resort. You know I barely even actually saw Jamaica. It was just a a beach with kind of an American bubble surrounding us, you know, so it was kind of not, not, not a, uh, you know, really that much of an exciting experience, but, um, but yeah, I mean, th- th- this was cool. Cause at least, you know, they, they sp- speak French, you know, so it was all, it was, you know, exciting for me to kind of just feel, feel kind of farther away than I actually was. Um, but yeah, yeah, I had a blast. I definitely, think you should get up there again uh when you can because yeah it was it was a lot of fun um so let's see i think based on 
on uh, what what you've shared with me previously. Um, I think you you're going to be one of the more unique cases here on Job Jumpers, which is exciting. Um, Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just to start, just to start off, the question I like to ask first is, uh, you know, taking work totally out of the equation. Um, what do you do? Because typically, when people ask that, what do you do? They ask they they want to know what you do for work. But of course, me being you know, uh, uh, I don't know, a hippie weirdo, I I tend to think that that you know what we do is a lot more than work. So so uh, Dan, what do you do if you take work out of the equation? Yeah, that's a great question, Connor. And actually, I was um, doing a little prep work myself earlier listening to um, your back catalog and um, you know hearing what others had to say and thinking through what you know I could best summarize my um, what I do um, outside of work you know um, how to encapsulate that I would say like I enjoy like the best way to summarize it is I like to interrupt um, <laughs> and like I like to like kind of not not to like when I was younger, maybe that would be in a more of like a I don't know trollish kind of way, just sure. to be like oh how funny. But the older I've gotten, the more I've become interested in you know like using um, be it like music, unconventional like humor, um, just to kind of like knock people off like you know a little bit like get them thinking in a different direction. Yeah, and you know kind of. Um, see things from a different perspective. I like to try to, you know, um, you know, get that in there. So I realized just saying like, oh, I like to interrupt sounds kind of pretentious, but it's a <laughs> summary of, I like, I like to make music and I admittedly haven't in a while and I need to get back into it, but, oh, nice. you know, yeah, my, my entry into the creative world was, um, I, you know, got in playing guitar when I was young. And so in high school and college, my friends and I were in bands and, you know, we did a lot of like stuff, just, you know, recorded it, put it on the web, whatever. Um, but that was kind of my intro to it. Um, I got into doing, I liked doing podcasting and like, um, community radio work for a while. That was a big, um, hobby of mine for a number of years and it will be again. I just have taken an extended break from it. Um, so yeah, I, I like, you know, a little bit of audio engineering. Um, what else do I do? Um, yeah, I work, um, I've gotten really into, you know, volunteering with animal welfare organizations the past few years. Oh, great. Um, so yeah, um, you know, walking dogs at the local shelter, fostering animals. Uh, we have four cats in the house right now. Two of them are my wife and I's and two of them are, um, fosters. Um, we're tempted to keep the other two, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, like I really just enjoy, you know, the companionship of a pet and, um, the bonds that you can form with um, an animal. Um, so yeah. that's something that I've, you know, gotten a little, like I'm not a trainer by any means of dogs, but I've like tried to learn everything I can about dog training and how dogs like, you know, view their relationship with humans. And um, when I like going back to, you know, I'll try to bring it full circle here. When I say that I like to interrupt, um, you know, I think the best way I have of illustrating that is, um, you know, when you're say walking a dog, when I had my dog, um, and we would be out for a walk, he would get like super agitated when he saw another dog sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if I just let it go, like he would just start pulling and growling and, you know, trying to like get up in the other dog's face. 
but you know, if I carried a little bit of a treat with them and like broke his attention for a second, um, I would redirect him and, you know, like get him to realize like, Oh, wait a minute. No, what was I thinking? Like, let me try something else. So far be it for me to suggest, you know, like working with people is like, you know, uh, working with my dog, but, um, I just, you know, I, I learned that technique of like breaking their, breaking people's attention Yeah, because you can get so focused in on stuff and then, you know, realizing that, Oh, wait a minute, things aren't so bad. Like, you know, if I'm a dog, I'm out on a walk with my person, you know, like I'm, I just got a treat for like, like being distracted. That's cool. So yeah, I don't know. I hope that that summarizes it pretty well. Like, um, you know, yeah. I like music, I like podcasting. I like dogs and cats. Definitely. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a great rundown of, uh, you know, your kind of, um, how, how you move through the world, I guess. I, 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 I definitely relate to, um, interrupting as kind of a uh you know kind of not only a personality trait but kind of as a as a tool to kind of um get to the 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 core of like people you know because because i kind of feel like when you interact with with a lot of people in a lot of different situations especially if it's professional or if it's not you know uh, super casual. Um, they're they're kind of programmed to to interact in a certain way, and so uh, if if you kind of you know say something or or ask something that kind of uh, shifts the focus away from the center a little bit, you can kind of um, get to know them on a different level, I guess. Right? So so I think that mm-hmm. makes sense to me. Um, and yeah, it's it's something I feel like I've done, um, you know, too, in my life. Uh, what what kind of music are you uh, playing these days? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, it's kind of vaguely, you know, noise pop. That's how I best represent it. Nice. Um, you know, like when I first started playing guitar, I was like really, you know, blown over by a lot of the like old. You know, blues guitar players mm-hmm. and like some of the more like blues rock players. So I was like always learning all the scales and like, you know, my friends would give me crap for that. <laughs> Just like, you know, so ding ding solo this this and that. But um the older I got, you know, especially late high school, early college, and I started to hear more experimental stuff, like um I got real big into like Captain Beefheart and um you know, one of the things I did when I was a um in my community radio days was I hosted a show out um, in Montana when I lived there in Missoula. Uh, shout out to uh, KFGM Community Radio uh, for letting me do my thing for a bit there. But oh, yeah. um, I did like an experimental music show and I would play like, I would just go down a rabbit hole of like every week researching like, okay, here's some experimental artists I know. Um, like, okay, so who else is on this label and what kind of stuff do they do? And it really kind of broadened my horizons of what you can do and the kind of sounds and music that you make like i became i don't know going back to late teens um like my college years i really into radiohead but started observing like what they were doing with guitars outside of just conventional chord structures uh-huh. just sort of the noises they were making um like the song are you a fan of are you familiar with radiohead's um work yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 not a uh, a huge Radiohead head, uh, you know, as it were. But um, mm. but yeah, I mean, definitely the the singles, and I feel like I've, I've definitely listened to a few of their albums, so um, vaguely familiar. Nice. Yeah. So there's this song, um, Tree Fingers. I think it's on like 
Kid A or Amnesiac or something. But um, it's all it's it's it sounds like it's being done with like a synthesizer or a keyboard. It's just a bunch of ambient noises um, that they're making, but they're doing it all with the guitar, I believe. Uh-huh. So when I started hearing music like that and Aphex, which led me to Aphex Twin, because I know that was a big influence on them. Um, and, you know, artists of that nature, um, I was like, oh, you can do this whole different thing. Like, I don't have to be creating conventional chord structures. I could be yeah. using this to make, you know, and so that's the kind of stuff that I got real into. So I, don't know, I like to experiment. It's still kind of based in like a noise pop, you know, uh, three chord progression sure. type of deal but um yeah um stuff like that you know yeah no i mean you know not that this is a music podcast because it's not but um i i uh i one of my favorite things ever to do is to make a guitar sound like a synthesizer um yes it's it, yeah i mean I, I i just kind of like uh you know breaking breaking the instrument i guess and, and kind of making it sound unrecognizable um so i i'd definitely be interested if you wanted to share some of that music with me i'd, I'd love to hear it um but uh sure. but yeah that's 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 rad i i i have also you know in my day um i've I, i've done uh hosted a show on on um on college radio community radio which so that that was like mm-hmm. one of the most fun times of my life that was a blast um mm-hmm. and, and and then yeah i've i've done I'm, I'm in a few bands and stuff so i i uh feel like we got some we got some common ground already um absolutely yeah so dan let's uh let's stop beating around the bush here and <laughs> and uh i wanna i wanna hear uh what what you say um when people ask you not only what you do but what you do for a living here like this is the point where you can't get away from the the work you know question you can't be you you can't jump around and give a uh non-answer you know people want want to hear what you do for a living what 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 you know bring some of the bacon um what would your answer to that be dan yeah i was thinking about this earlier i think the best way to summarize it is non-profit administrator okay um so um just to give you a little bit of uh you know kind of more detail about what that means because it can be a little vague um i work a little bit in finance a little bit in accounting a little bit in like well currently it's like kind of um grants focused um so like you know organizations apply for grants um and then you know we review them and, and issue the grants um out to a you know basically we have like kind of like a foundation somewhat uh-huh. um and so i do like the administrative side of that like reviewing grant applications that come in and you know i don't make the decisions on who gets the grants but i work with the folks who do that and um you know i like make sure you know everything is i'm not a lawyer i'm not a paralegal but like we try to advise them like okay you know um we need this we need that like for like irs the irs has like really specific standards for um foundations and organizations that make grants so, yeah, I mean, like, I try to, you know, advise on that. Um, you know, yeah, like I said, in the past, I've done... I, in my career, like, when we get into, like, the real discussion of, like, you know, job jumping and, um, you know, different career paths I've had over the years, um, what I've gotten set... I started off, like, when I reset my career about uh, eight, nine years ago, I went from being, like, um, an on-site 
nonprofit construction person to like a finance and accounting person. Okay. Um, and like I came up from finance and accounting doing into like what we call grants management work. Um, so, you know, you could go down a total rabbit hole within grants management. Um, but I would say like nonprofit administrator, like click clack email job is gotcha. how some people have uh, been talking <laughs> about that. But I like it. It's it's something I've settled into. And, um, you know, as a, as a day job, it's, you know, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you know, I feel like um, obviously there's there's a lot of things that, you know, nonprofits are are doing wrong or you know whatever or uh but i i do feel like that's that's still kind of an admirable thing you kind of do feel like you're you're you're, you know doing good work i think Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i've worked mostly in the nonprofit sector i've had a few private sector jobs but uh i generally i don't know there's just something i feel drawn to keeping in the nonprofit sector I've been in it long enough at this point where I don't even know what I would do in the private sector. Sure. Um, and um, yeah, and there's a lot of different things you can do within a nonprofit. I mean, you could think about it just like, you know, um, there's a lot of like crossover with like a, you know, regular for-profit business. But there's specifics um, within the nonprofit world that are interesting to me. I really like the people I work with um, and have generally throughout my career. Uh, that's also how I met my wife. So, um, oh, nice. you know, yeah, like some of my best friends, like I've met through my work, um, you know, you find like you have shared interests, um, you know, people who just kind of have like a general interest in, um, I guess, social justice and making the world, you know, a better place. It's not to say you can't find those people in other sectors, but sure. Um, you know, generally like, uh, I like the people, I like the mission and, and causes that they serve. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, again, I've been doing this long enough now where I guess this is my career. So, um, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, that that's, yeah. that, that's great. I can see how, how that, that's a huge appeal too. Cause it's like, um, even if like whatever organization, you are working for it you know is is flawed as like i'm sure all of them are um yeah the the people you work with maybe you know make make the difference and also you know you can kind of uh you, you know do do cool stuff outside of that with with the people that you've met on a on that journey but um let's let's take it back to the beginning Let's go back to the start. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, so before we do that, I I I, I just do want to ask um, quickly if you consider yourself a job jumper. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, early in my career, absolutely. Um, at where I'm at now, I feel like I've settled into something comfortable, and um, I wouldn't consider myself to be that now, but. Uh, I find the topic endlessly fascinating. I am like fully supportive of people who jump. Um, and I think that it's something that we need to elevate more um, discussion about because usually when we talk about this topic, we're hearing about it um, from the perspective of employers. Yeah. And we're calling it job hoppers. And yeah. I, I don't like that. And I never have. Um, so while I may not be one now, I definitely was, um, in the not too distant past. And, um, I remember what it was like to go through that. 
Um, and, you know, listening to the stories of other folks you've had on the podcast and just people in my own networks. Um, yeah, no, I definitely, um, you know, am pretty much endlessly sympathetic to anybody um, who needs to leave for whatever reason they need to leave for. Hell yeah. Yeah, I, I um, you know, and I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, usually it's like we're, we're we're not job jumping because we want to, you know. It's like I I feel like almost everybody would be like, yeah, if I find a job and it like it it fits all of my needs and I'm I'm making you know enough to survive and I'm happy and have good work life balance, then awesome, you know. I I I can put the the uh, job jumper status on the mantle and and live a happy life. Um, so 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 yeah, I think um, it, you know, once a job jumper always a job jumper uh you know or you know at least sympathetic to the cause um but uh i do want to hear your story um as 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 uh detailed or mysterious as you want dan um take me to the beginning i want to hear hear how you started and how you got to where you are yeah that's a great question connor so um i think i'll really hone in on like the first let's see yeah, probably like the first five, ten years of my career, because that's where the bulk of the job jumping happened. And um, kind of give you a glimpse into like some of the reasons for it, because, you know, while it's inescapable that sometimes, you know, as a job jumper, you jump for purely personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really like to focus in on are the structural reasons why people leave their jobs. Um, and the things like the context around why that happens, because again, like you never hear about that in the press. Um, and I think too, when you go out on job interviews and you're asked like, well, why did you leave this job? You're often told like, Oh, don't, um, don't say anything that would make you, you know, seem negative or whatever. Yep. And it's like, well, you know, if I don't, if you just, I think we're pushed and encouraged to, represent things in these kind of cliches which over time become so removed and stripped of their meaning that it just kind of becomes a pageant where we're exchanging pleasantries with each other and yes you know if you're trying to find people you know to work for your company and you really want to learn about who they are and where they came from um i'm sorry but saying stuff like oh i left to find a better opportunity it doesn't really mean anything over time. You know, no. like everybody is obviously everybody is right. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll go back to the beginning. So some of the early jobs I had, um, I, my first job, I think probably working for my dad. Um, he's owns a small business, um, in construction, uh, actually. And so, um, part of the reason, like I, you know, got interested in doing admin work. So like office work, answering phones, um, you know, writing business letters, processing invoices, all this stuff. It was all stuff I came up doing for my dad's business. Um, so he was a tile contractor for years. So, you know, he worked on site and, you know, for various reasons, decided um, to shift more into retail. Um, and, you know, he and my uncle run the business, but my dad doesn't speak English as his native language. Uh-huh. Um, he's an English, but I mean, he's fluent, but you know, sometimes, um, you know, he needs help with, sure. um, certain things. And so, yeah, my mom and I like helped them write letters and, you know, also he just needed help around the office cause it's just him and my uncle. So that's how I kind of came up like doing work for him. And then my first job that wasn't family related, um, it was like right after high school, I 
um, got asked to be a music teacher, a, a guitar teacher at the music school that I was um, taking lessons at. Oh, nice. And yeah, I was like, what, 16, 17, and I was just not focused at all. I mean, <laughs> you know, like when the people would come in to like get a lesson, you know, they would get a lesson, but. Um, there were days where I was just like, you know, being 17, my friends would call me up be like, oh, hey, you want to go like do stuff? And I was like, yeah, sure. And whatever. <laughs> of course. So, you know, I would whatever. It was 17, you know, like um, it was a fine gig. But, um, you know, as I got into college and, you know, took summer jobs, um, some of them were like, um, what was one of them? Oh, I I worked for a recruiting company in New York. Um, I grew up in the New York area and, you know, within commuting distance to Manhattan. And I had the opportunity, like my junior year, after my junior year of college to either work for this tech recruiting company for like $15 an hour, which at that point was, you know, it's like 15 years ago. So oh, yeah, it's a was, little bit more than it is now. You're you making know? the big bucks. Uh, yeah. Like I was like, all right, well I can make $15 an hour in Manhattan or I was offered a job at my campus library for like, I don't know, $8 an hour. I could have worked with my best friend. Mm. I took the job in Manhattan. I shouldn't have done that because I ended up getting, that's the only job I've been laid off from. Oh damn. Um, but just a terrible fit. Like, you know, um, you know, when we think about like, uh, I, I don't know, I know enough about tech. Like I'm fairly comfortable with like, you know, different, computer platforms um i where i stop is like coding like i've done some light coding but okay. like it's always like with another window open you know like okay how does that how am i i don't know off the top of my head how to write code or anything like that i just sure you know um whatever yeah so um so that's like you know but yeah i don't know how to like recruit a programmer or recruit um uh what like a system administrator or something and here i am this 20 year old kid um, you know, they barely gave me any training. Um, and, you know, just show me and they're like, Oh, just call a bunch of people and, you know, ask them these questions. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but I don't like just no guides. And I had two bosses who, one of whom was like pretty good and like provided what training he could. And the other one was just like, yeah, just make a bunch of phone calls. And wouldn't, you know, it, it was the one who was like, yeah, just make a bunch of phone calls that was the one that wasn't happy with my work and laid me off. Oh yeah, of course. Because you know it's always connected with like if you're not going to train somebody but you want them to do something. I don't know, like whatever. So yeah, it's, I mean it's first. it's it's kind of like the you know the whole thing where like we want people who take initiative here and like that right. usually means like we want people to to figure it all out themselves and and you know magically do everything we want them to do without us telling them. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, again, we go back to these like cliches that kind of point at meaning or generally, you know, end up being this sort of like, um, either completely meaningless or are, you know, glimpses into like, I don't want to say that they're necessarily weaponized, but it, it, it could be a glimpse into, um, a, a not so great situation. But again, if we, if, if like you're in a job interview and people are throwing this stuff out or they put it in the job listing, you know, even if the environment isn't exactly like that, or they just want to like say that to convey something, um, people will look at that and go like, Oh yeah, no thanks. If I can help it, I won't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it, it, there has to be, I think some of the problems we see in job jumping or that create job jumping are like, 
what is the company or what are the people who run a company saying versus what are they doing? Um, and, you know, I, I think that there's been anyway, like, yeah, I, I just think like there's been such a push over the last 15 years since the recession. I graduated college right around the time that the recession really kicked in. Oh, great. So that also really kind of threw my career off track. Um, but yeah, like I just think that there's been such a assumption that you can go out and get anybody to do anything. And I think that that's kind of directly connected in some ways with job jumping because, um, you know, if you're just going to like throw somebody in there and expect them to figure it all out and then get upset when they can't, you know, obviously whatever, maybe sometimes some people are better at figuring it out than others for whatever reason. But, you know, by and large, um, if you don't tell people what you want, you're not going to guarantee yourself just from a practical standpoint that you're going to get what, yeah. Of course. So was my one of my first glimpses into like huh something is like why like why was i why was i asked to do this job like what in my background did they think i wasn't studying anything tech related in college um i didn't have a background in recruiting so it's like why were you just going to give 15 dollars an hour to this guy who and i guess you know that's somewhat the recruiting profession is you know that's uh it's a numbers game and they'll Hire whoever they can and, you know, um, yes. pay them and if they stick, great. But, exactly. Um, which is not, again, you know, <laughs> it, 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 anyway. But um, so, yeah, that was that. And then after college, um, I was in college. My big thing was, you know, we were talking about doing community radio. I was like a DJ at my college station. I loved putting together shows. I loved hosting shows. I loved producing music. I was in bands. So I knew a little bit about, like, you know, sound recording and engineering and all this sort of thing. So I was trying to get into radio, um, be it, you know, any kind of terrestrial radio, it's like 2008, at this point, and nobody was hiring. Mm-hmm. And terrestrial radio was dying, and then the recession really just, you know, closed the you know, final final nail in the coffin. So yeah. spent months trying to get into doing that and, so you know, I just... don't want to interrupt you here, but I just, just to... Uh, you know, share some some th- some empathy or sympathy, or whatever. Um, I I went to uh, or I did a program for for broadcasting after high school, and this was this was like twenty like I after, I I graduated high school in twenty twelve, and then um, I took a, a year off, and then I started this program in twenty fourteen, and um, if. If terrestrial radio was collapsing, you know, w- w- when you went through this, and it, it it was like all but washed away when I uh, tried my hand in it, and and I I did one internship at this rock radio station, and uh, while I was there, you know, it 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 was sold to um like a it it, be, it became like a uh, like a like a gospel network, and and then I just kind of wow. I th- then I just hung it up. I was like, ah, oh, this is maybe not the right. Uh, industry to get into right now so so i i i do feel your pain there yeah it's it's tough like you know um there's there's a lot to say there about like why terrestrial radio is you know was left to die pretty much and now to some extent it's kind of been replaced by internet radio and podcasting so like the dream is somewhat alive but you know um you have to be more entrepreneurial about it now um, so there's, you know, um, pros and cons to that, but 
Um, but sure. yeah, like that was my main focus. I was like, this is, you know, and I had written too when I was in college. I had a couple things published in a local magazine. I wanted to like, if I couldn't get into radio, I was like, well, I've always been told I write well, so uh, maybe I can get a gig, um, you know, as an editorial assistant, um, you know, something for like a, you know, local magazine or something. And uh, a couple things I remember from that summer uh, before I like after six months of just like nothing, I finally pivoted to just like all right, I you know let me just get a job anywhere. But like I applied for an editorial assistant job, super entry level as far as like you know what they were saying in the job posting. Uh-huh. Um, and it was for like a really local public publication in the town I went to college in, which is not a big town by any means, like hundred and eighty thousand people at most. Um, and I remember like interviewing and then I got turned down and I was on the call, like getting turned down. I was asking for feedback and like, mind you, like I wasn't like, you know, <laughs> uh, well-known writer. I, I you know, wrote, contributed to, um, again, like a local cultural magazine. She, the, the person turning me down was like, Oh, you've just written a few pieces for this. I'm like, this is an entry level job. Like, yeah. what do you mean I've just contributed a few? Like, what are you looking for? You want somebody to have, like, written for, like, the New York Times or something? Like, entry level just, what does that like, mean? yeah, I mean, like, entry level at this point, I mean, back then, I'm sure, too, but at this point, it's like, that. it just means nothing. That's just like, like, what are you, it, it just to get people to apply to the fucking job. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, and, and it wasn't even anything. You know, it was mostly clerical work. It was mostly admin work for the editorial department of a local publication. Um, and I'm like sitting on the phone there and maybe, I don't know, you know, look, I'll, I'll cut a wide berth here and say, maybe there was something about the way I was approaching it. I was being a bit bratty about it in 21. That's entirely possible. But, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes I think about like the way, you know, again, I, I was talking earlier about the way companies, you know, handle things in public um, or their public-facing um, relationships or relations with job seekers. And I'm like, why would you do that? Because, you, know, you know, 15 years later, here I am. <laughs> I mean, I'm not naming them, but, you know, I, I can't even remember the name of the place, but, to be honest <laughs> with you. But um, I'm like, why would you even risk doing something, you know, I don't know if I want to say rude, but just um, sort of dissonant. You know, Uh like what you're saying is this is not an entry level position. I'm looking at the thing and it says like, you know, making copies for an editorial department. Like, you know, admin job that just happened to be at a, you know, with maybe a little bit of writing thrown in. Sure. Yeah. So I'm like, you know, there's a disconnect here. So um, so eventually, yeah, I took a job. um, One of the few. Well, for, you know, I got into the nonprofit sector. I worked for a law firm and um I wasn't paying that great, but it was enough to survive on. And, um, you know, again, being, what, 21, 22 at the time, I'm like, all right, if you could pay for an apartment, you could pay for my food, you could pay for me to go, you know, hang out with my friends, that's enough. Um, so I took the job and um, I was there for, this is, and I, this is, this is a, this is a jump. I was there for nine months. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, they liked me enough to give me like, a small raise um what was it like a few months in so that was fine but um you know i was thinking about like what i wanted to do next and i was like well it seems like the radio thing is not going to work out and it seems like the writing thing is just too hard to break into right now 
maybe if I stick with this and I can go back to school, go back to law school, and this would be a good place to be while I do that. So um, the way it worked was I was part time, but I was one of the part. I was part time up to like minimum, like right below the threshold where they would have to give me like full time hours and health benefits. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, so I was like thirty two, thirty three hours a week. So about six months in, I approached my boss. And I said, hey, look, I like working here. Um, you know, you gave me a raise, so clearly you like my work. Um, you know, I would like to explore making this a full-time role. They came back with, well, there's always been high turnover in this role, so the partners are really hesitant to give anybody a full-time role, blah, 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 because they're worried they'll just leave. <laughs> and I sat with that, and I'm like, that's completely circular logic. Yep. Like, you're saying people are leaving, you, you know, like not going to invest in them because they'll just leave but when somebody comes to you and says they want to be here full-time you'll use that logic against them to say well you'll probably just leave anyway Uh right so it's this sort of like i'm coming to you and i'm saying i would like to stay here are like the very base level conditions that i would you know need in order to stay and if you like my work you know and you like me being here here you go yeah um so, yeah, it was just a, I mean, like, and I think too, like, um, so what was I called? Like a admin assistant, like file clerk, whatever, and answering phones, you know, um, filing stuff, whatever. And, you know, so that, that I got turned down for that. And then they had like an opening for like a legal secretary to work directly with one of the attorneys there. Um, I guess kind of like a paralegal. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, well, I am somewhat familiar with the paralegal profession. I've done a little bit of research here. Um, you know, I've been here six, seven months now. I'm sure you can train me and figure out how to do this. And I asked with like one of the other legal secretaries and they're like, Oh, you need to have gone to school for that. And I'm like, what degree <laughs> again? <laughs> I mean, I know now they have like paralegal programs, but this was like 15 years ago and that wasn't as popular. And I'm like, mm-hmm. so yeah, tell me again what, like, so, you know, it's it just, you get the impression like, okay, I've now tried two avenues to move ahead here or like stick around and you've shot me down both times for really bizarre reasons. Um, so I'm just going to leave. And, um, I put in my notice. Um, and I think at that point I had applied to grad school and gotten in out of state. I didn't really want to go at that point. Uh I'm like, uh, you know, that that's something I can do other than this nonsense. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I, I ended up leaving that job. I didn't have anything else lined up. You know, hey, whatever. Um, I was 22. I didn't have any, like, you know, real... Um, I, I was really lucky to have, you know, um, had a scholarship in college, and I didn't really have, you know, any... Very, very fortunate to not have any student loans that I will, you know, put my privilege out there like that. But um, that being the only thing that would have kept me in a job... Um, which is again, why I'm super sympathetic to people who do, um, because, um, you know, that's something that limits people's ability to be able to say the heck with you um, in a bad work environment. Um, but yeah, I didn't have, I was lucky to like not have any serious debts. So, um, so I left and I just kind of, you know, um, screwed around for a bit. Um, then temped for a while. That was okay. Um, and then that's when I began my journey in the nonprofit sector. Um, and I went in, um, you know, again, this is still like, we're dealing with like the after effects of the recession. Uh-huh. 
it's like 2010 at that point, and I was applying for every nonprofit job and every. Um, this is a pro- are you familiar with the program AmeriCorps? Um, yeah, I've, I've I've definitely heard of it. I'm not I I'm not super familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. So basically, what it is is um, it's like a. It's, are you familiar with the Peace Corps? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. So. It's similar to that, but it's the sort of the domestic version of the Peace Corps, for lack of a better term. Okay, like, yep. You do a year with a nonprofit, and um, you, um, what is it? Um, you know, like at the end of the term, you get like a money for school, or you can get like a stipend if you wish in some programs. Gotcha. Um, now, now I just remembered this was this is going back a while, but um, in the intervening time between I quit my law firm job and I took up with AmeriCorps, so I attempt I did jump from a service industry job. Um, you know, I needed. You know, I, I I think I was like a month or two out from quitting the law firm, and I'm like, all right, I should probably do something so I can have a little income coming in. So there was a local um, hiring, and um, I got hired there, and. Uh, the owner was just like the, doing the hiring. Was just miserable. <laughs> just like you know, had no interest in training anybody. Like had me come in and like train, if you could call it that, with this guy that just kind of mumbled a lot when he was showing me how to do stuff. He's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is gonna suck. And like, sure enough, every lunch rush, um, I was like completely overwhelmed. Um, and, you know, like trying to figure out what button, it was like one of the old, this was, it, there wasn't like a POS, like touch screen. This is like an old school cash register. Oh man. Okay. And I'm like, you know, here's a college boy trying to figure out how to like open up a cash register and push this and that button. So, um, that sucked like to have to deal with customers being like hungry and entitled and, and demanding. Yeah. No, I think now if I remember correctly, you, you um, have worked in the hospitality industry for a bit. So you yes, probably had yeah. a lot of experience with oh, that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I I worked in hospitality for you know almost a decade. Um, I started out in restaurants and kind of went into hotels um, for for the majority of that uh, decade. But um, yeah, I I've always always thought that the two uh, worst type of, of customers were, you know, either they're very hungry and waiting or they're very tired and waiting. And, and so I've, I've, I've really kind of, uh, <laughs> faced, faced so many of those battles and, and it, it, it can be a nightmare, especially when you don't have the support and you're on your own. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, I have the utmost respect for people who work in the service industry, um, you know, I've had a few jobs in it and every time just dealing with the general public, um, <laughs> it's like, man, what, what's going on here? Like, why are you so angry and taking uh-huh. that on me? I know. Um, and it's like, man, I, and I know like, you know, behavioral health in this country and, you know, going to see a therapist is like, you know, getting more attention these days, which is great. And also like people don't, let's be honest, people also don't have, good enough health care to be able to see a therapist on a routine basis but like yeah. you know you get used as the therapist um, um, but you know um, in a way that you probably you're going to see your therapist I mean whatever I've, I don't maybe just this is me speaking but I don't go in and scream to my therapist about why my burger is cold I know right um, yeah oh so, yeah it's, so I quit that it, job without any 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. I, I was just saying it's like a weird, uh, like blind spot in like, I, like a, you know, it seems like a lot of people, you know, I, I think especially in in America, I think they have like this weird uh, permission or like hall pass to like be as rude as possible to service workers, you know, and and, and there's just like a major disconnect between, um, you know, like the civility outside of those situations and inside it's it's just kind of a weird thing that's kind of like been been like bred throughout the decades of of the customer is always right um yeah. motto yeah the, it's it's a tough one because yeah i mean that line of thinking has led people actually before we got on the call i was watching some like you know compilations of like people freaking out in public um you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the YouTuber. I think he streams too. Moist Critical, Penguin Zero. Um, he does like compilations of like people. Um, you know, he like rips into people being awful to service workers. Gotcha. Yep. As part of what he does, yeah. It's so I was just watching some of that and I'm like, man, I was like getting flashbacks to you know working in the service industry and the few jobs I've had there, and I'm like, boy, that sucked. Um, so yeah, total solidarity with anybody who a server, um, you know, works in hospitality. Um, Hell yeah. you know, that's, that's like, yeah, that's, 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 that's hard work, man. Um, so yeah, that, that, the, the job at the deli, I quit and just didn't come back the next day. Just, no, I think I even told the guy, I was like, Hey man, this isn't work. I told the owner, I was like, Hey man, this isn't working out. Like I'm not coming back tomorrow. And he's like, Oh yeah. All right. Whatever. And I just didn't show up the next day. Um, so, yeah, so that was, but, but we'll, we'll fast forward a bit because, you know, um, I want to cut to some of the other job jumping stories I've yeah, had yeah. And, and some of the stuff that, like, you know, precipitated why you would jump uh, or the after effects of it. So, did my first AmeriCorps term, you know, it was fine. Um, but again, it's like limited by a year. So, after that year, if you want to re up, you can and do a second year, but it doesn't. Nine times out of ten, they don't lead to full-time jobs. I've seen it happen. Like, I've seen AmeriCorps... Like, you get paid through a government grant, basically. Okay. And you work almost as a consultant with the nonprofit. Like, you know, some people call it an internship. It's not an internship. It's somewhere between being a volunteer and a consultant. You are paid a stipend. Uh, It's super low, and, you know, there's... Whatever. whole discussion to be had about that, but... Mm -hmm. um, did my first term, it was fine, um, and then um, I had moved out of state to do that, then I came home for a bit, um, you know, dealt with some family stuff, and then I missed, you know, being in the place where I did my AmeriCorps term, and, um, you know, wanted to do one more term just to, like, get it out of my system, um, and, you know, see what it would be like to try something different. So my first term, I did, like, um, marketing, but that's when I got to actually do, like, writing, a little bit of video production, um, you know, like uh, social media work. So that's where I finally got out, like, okay, I can do some writing. I yeah. can, you know, take some video. I mean, it wasn't, it was for like a um, non-denominational religious organization. So I had to like, I couldn't go like full bore, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, with, uh, but, you know, I was able to do some work there. So that was, that was fine. Yeah, you can um, kind of do some, some creative stuff that, that, that you enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, it was something. It was something. So, um, but you know, after having done that and kind of being burned out of doing um, behind the scenes work, I got the opportunity in my second term to do like on site 
um, like leading volunteers, like actual like building homes, like Habitat for Humanity stuff. Um, so I should just say, like I, I did two of the three turns that I did in AmeriCorps in New Orleans. Um, this is like five years after Hurricane Katrina, but there's still you know plenty of like rebuilding work to do and okay, um, yep. you know neighborhood revitalization. So yeah, I did that in my second term and just found that I had like a real knack for it and aptitude. Um, you know, like. I was young, my, my grandpa and my dad taught me like little construction things and I used to like just tinker with stuff and build with Legos and you know it, um, some of that stuff stuck and you know, that is what set me off on like the next few years of my career, um, was kind of doing like nonprofit, like rebuilding disaster recovery construction work. Um, yeah, I did that. And then, um, after my second term, I ended up moving back home um, from New Orleans, um, had some family stuff. My grandma was, um, sick and, you know, probably, well, at that point, yeah, she was in her last days, wanted to be home for that. And, um, my girlfriend at the time came with me, my wife now, um, and we set up shop in, um, New York city, which is close enough to where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where my next job jumping story comes in. Um, so I was like trying to figure out, I had done two turns of AmeriCorps, wanted to stay in the nonprofit sector, um, you know, in New York being like a huge city with all these job opportunities. I'm like, well, there should be no problem um, taking a job or finding a job in the city with a nonprofit. Um, so once again, um, as I was like right after college, I was faced with the dilemma of take the lower paying job with a place that really, you know, seems to like me, but I would have to commute a bit and I don't think it was full time. Um, or do I take like this contract job with a nonprofit, um, in, um, city, which is maybe a little bit more high profile could lead to like full time hours. And me being the sellout that I am, I took the higher paying job that I learned <laughs> my lesson from years before. And it was kind of like a customer service job somewhat. Like I took calls, it was like a warehouse where they store, they stored like, um, like art materials and okay. like distributed them free for artists in the, and teachers in the city, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were like in between staff in that role and they just needed somebody to come in and do it. And so I didn't get a ton of training of course. Um, but you know, being New York city and you know, um, people being cranky here as in this area as they are, I get people calling up and being like, even for like donating, like art supplies and like, I don't know, like office furniture to a, a, like an arts-based agency in the city. I get calls and people will be like, oh, do you take a bookshelf? Uh, I have like all this office furniture. And I'd be like, no, sorry, we don't. And they'd be like, well, that's stupid. You're stupid and you're an idiot. Yeah. And they would like literally happen once. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like I, I know, know it's New York and people are like, but. What is happening um, in your life that, that you're you're so upset and abusive over something so innocuous. Right. Like people would call up and be abusive, not all the time, but like routinely. And then we would also have these events where people would come in, like we would let the artists and the teachers come in and like pick the free materials. We tried to provide like basic guidelines for, okay, you can take this much. You can, you know, but please leave this much for other artists and teachers. Um, and, People would just come and like feel entitled to take whatever we'd have to confront them and be like, Hey, you, we, we, we've asked you not to take that much. Could you not take that much? And then 
there was one person once that tried to like have a philosophical argument with us about like giving away free stuff ended up just being a complete waste of time it was a really shoddy argument that kind of boiled down to let me take this stuff because I want it. Yep. And so it's just stuff like that where they just again dealing with the general public you know so I was there for a month and a half and even though it wasn't perfect I'm like okay um, what was it um, you know I, I need a job we're trying to live in the city here um, you know, I see that the full-time version of this job, um, pays well enough to like afford our apartment. So yeah, I'm yeah. going to go for it. Um, and, um, they're like, yeah, you should apply. Like the, the staff encouraged me to apply. So I applied on their website and a few days went by and I'm, you know, talking to the boss. I'm like, Hey, I just want to make sure you got the application. And they're like, Oh, um, bad news you um can't be considered because you said that you um we we put in the job posting you needed three years of experience and you said you only had two oh i was like God. He's, and i was being modest right like yeah, i yeah, was yeah. i said two because i'm like well i could have easily said three and it wouldn't even really be stretching the truth but i was being like really conservative about it um because i'm like i shouldn't lie i was still young i was like i shouldn't lie mm. on this I shouldn't do that and the the system rejected me and I'm like, okay, so you're telling me there's nothing you can do, even though you're the executive director to override that. Yeah. So I've been booted out by a computer, and now I'm just going to – you want me to keep working here while I watch you hire somebody else and um, get abused by people and you know not have health insurance and all this other stuff. Um, and so I made the decision to quit without yeah. a job lined up because yeah. I'm like, all right, Damn. you know – yeah, I was like, that like you can't you can't do anything to like I can't reapply. I can't you know like explain. Yeah, like, I I mean that's that is the um uh, the the kind of major issue with like that amount of bureaucracy and red tape. You know where where uh, you know one these systems do reward lying and. Uh, they they don't leave any room for um, you know context or explanation or you know detail and, and then they give kind of the higher ups or you know the people that are supervising you either give them kind of uh, a pass to be like yeah you know uh, it's out of my hands I, I can't do anything about it or or they you know if if they are acting in good, in good faith and do really care, then their hands are literally tied and they, and they, they can't, um, make, make simple fixes that, that should, should not be difficult. You know, like, like you're working for them already. They like you, you should be a shoe in at, at, at the very least, you know, up in consideration, you know, like worth talking to worth, you know, really, really thinking about, hiring you um full time but it, it it just it it's it just seems impossible it it's it's a very backwards uh way of way of doing things maddening yeah it's maddening it's um you know especially and i feel like this is a this is something that has come up a few times um as i'm reflecting on my career um you know and i've been in the position too where i've observed people they come in they tempt they do a good job um, but for whatever reason, they can't, you know, we can't keep them around. I've also seen people get kept around, and, you know, that's good because 
like, yeah, you did good work. You fit in here real, you know, real well. We like working with you. Um, let's try to keep you around. Um, but you know, it's, it's, again, it's, it's thinking about systemic reasons for why, um, this is this is a problem I think with the whole job hopper narrative is it always over focuses on the supposed deficient traits of an individual, you know, as if people who jump jobs um, are are morally deficient or whatever the phrase is, just some vague you know quasi psychological um, reason for you know why people can't make commitments or anything like that. And I mean, look. Who knows? But it's it's that that that's like problem with taking that tack with it and blaming the individual is, is it's non falsifiable. You can't like it's hard to argue against like oh this person just you know can't make a commitment and all this sort of thing because it's like well we have no way to test that. Also like you only know them from this one situation in context. You don't know what they're like in other dimensions of life. Um, mm-hmm. So you know you're making this big grand statement about somebody's character. You only have a couple of data points to go off of, um, and and that's never going to lead to a good decision. Um, so again, that's it's why like if we can't elevate the reasons why people leave their jobs um, and explain the full context around it, you know what are we doing? Um, yeah. So you know that was that was that experience. I left that a job lined up, and um, you know I was lucky enough. To, I had a good relationship with a temp agency in the city um, to, you know, get some work here and there. And then I ended up doing a third term of AmeriCorps. I hadn't planned on doing that, but, um, you know, uh, I was in a situation where, um, unlike, you know, a few years before where I was not as concerned with, you know, I, I had saved some money up at that, but in the, my previous experience, I could live off of. Um, in this situation, I was like, well, I'm, I'm in New York, I'm in a higher cost of living city. Also in a you know committed relationship now, I'm not single anymore. Um, so you know I have to you know um, it, you know things have changed too. Like yeah, I had also grown a bit in that intervening time, you know. So that, there, there's that aspect of it. Like I don't want to fully deny, you know, I wasn't you know. The, it, but but even as I got older, when I was jumping, um, you know, maybe when I was younger, I could you know see a little bit of the whole like, well, he doesn't like to make commitments. Again, I was also 21. What what young person shouldn't be allowed to like try stuff out? Um, so whenever I hear people complain about that, I'm like, they're young. Just let them do what they want. Yeah, it's fine. absolutely. You know. So, um, but you know, I, I still kept the 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 right to leave in my back pocket. Um, I, I hopped from that or I jumped from that job. Did a third term and then um, got hired on um, to do to be like the boss of the AmeriCorps. Um, like a manager um, of them at another agency mm-hmm. uh, doing re- relief work. And I had pretty high hopes for that job. Um, you know, going in, I was like, all right, this is, I've seen my friends and my peers move into this kind of role after having done AmeriCorps. Uh, I've grown up a bit in the past few years. I, you know, have learned enough about this kind of work to be able to, you know, lead other people and train other people in doing this. I really admire people for doing AmeriCorps. And, um, you know, I want to make this experience as positive as possible because if they want to work in the nonprofit sector in the future, like I did, I don't want them to get turned off by Absolutely. a crappy workplace. I took that job um, and wouldn't you know it, wasn't trained at all, thrown right into the <laughs> thick of it. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, and it was like, you know, 
even though I did have, you know, a fair amount of construction experience at that point, at least for the nonprofit sector, for the work we were doing, training AmeriCorps members to turn around and train volunteers to do basic home repair stuff like in drywall, install flooring. You know, we're not doing electrical. We're not doing plumbing. We contract that out. Um, so I'm, I'm training them in like basic construction techniques and then they turn around and train volunteers. Well, every scenario was, of course, the most complex, con- you know, way above my skill level. But they were also getting themselves into these situations um, and they had like a whole plan for we're piloting this plan, this organization. Um, I don't know that they exist in this context anymore, but um, or at least in, in the location that I worked in anymore, but they were piloting this plan where they were going to rush through, basically call it rushing through. Of course, they didn't see it that way, but they were trying to apply a, a model for that would work for new construction, uh-huh. right? Because you can control a lot of variables with new construction that you can't with rehab especially when you're doing disaster recovery where a home has been messed up by, you know, um, seawater and uh, wind. Um, uh-huh. They were trying to apply a new construction model to rehab construction in old homes. Um, and it just wasn't working. Um, and two, they were also booking big volunteer teams to come and do this work um, that, you know, didn't, they would show up to site and we would be, you know, we wouldn't be at the stage. They, you know, they would come expecting to do, you know, build a home in a day and they'd show up and they'd be sweeping a floor and they'd get upset. We'd have to say, well, look, you know, we're anyway. So, you know, um, and there was also the fact that you know, when I was hired, they said, oh, you're going to be working alongside another manager. So you'll split the work up, you know, between the yeah. two of you. Oh, what's that? Oops. Oh, we lost the, we never got the grant that was supposed to fund the second position. Oh um, well, that's okay. You're doing a good job with all the work that you were going to split up. So you're just going to do all that work. It's like a bait and switch. Um, little bait and switch. Yeah. And they took that person through like several rounds of interviews and they were like all set to hire them. So I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in that person's shoes, um, getting all psyched up, especially like having met the team and everything. And um, there I am, like, barely, like, working six days a week, like, ten hours a day, um, like, barely having enough time to, like, mind you, like, you know, I'm also commuting from my apartment where I was at to where the sites were at. And even though it was all within New York City, and New York City's massive, and especially if you're driving in New York City, I had to have a car for the job. Um, yeah, it's a nightmare. So it, was, it was awful. So, um I kept pushing. I said, you know, this is not, you you need to hire a second person. You need to, and my team also got behind me and they're like, you need to hire a second person. Dan is drowning in this work. And they kept saying, no, you're doing a great job. So guess what? I I quit that job without another one lined up and that was it. And, but you know, this time it was a full-time salary job. Didn't pay that well at all, but I had health insurance, all this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, I mean, I didn't even have time to look for another job was the other thing. Um, yes. But I quit it without, you know, that's the other thing because it's a full-time job to look for a job. Yes, th- that's exactly. So So that is something I think that doesn't get talked about enough because recently, and, and this is actually, it's, you know, pretty funny. I, I worked uh, doing admin work at um, uh, this company that, that provides hospice care, which which, I mean, really they're like, 
just taking tons of money from these families with 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 you know dying relatives to provide service and not giving any of the nurses enough time to to adequately care for them blah 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 filling you know quotas and stuff um but i i'm I'm like there like 10 hours a day and i'm not getting paid enough to survive so like Mm. i i need to to find another job but i i have no no time whatsoever to find another job and so so i mean that's why i i I had to jump ship uh just just recently so i could find something else i mean and 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 it 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 does it does feel like uh a lot of these companies do that on purpose or at least it's partially um you, you know to to keep you so so you know busy and bogged down that you 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 don't have the energy or time to leave you know securely exactly yeah i mean i think like you know when i look at the arc of my jumps and i look at the arc of my career um there are the the themes that come through you know where i expressed a desire to stay um, or a desire to, you know, to present from their perspective um, a way to, you know, that I was basically telling them, like, conditions for which I would stay. Um, or just, like, to, not even that, like, that, but also, like, to make it a, a sustainable enterprise. I was giving them the conditions by which that would work. Yeah. And, you know, it just seemed like the theme was every time, no. Okay, well, why? Well, I uh, Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I just didn't understand the rationale. It, it came across like it wasn't particularly well thought through. And this is sort of what I, you know, think about in, in general, when I think about like the callous attitude that people have towards, you know, job hoppers, you, know, you have to think about these, these points at which you have the opportunity as a company to retain your employees, which we're always told. Well, and it, it, there's a, there's a there's a semblance of truth to it where it's you know well it, you know saves the company money to keep people in the long term and um, you know it, it's good to keep the institutional knowledge within the company which I agree with um, and so on and so forth these are all good benefits but the thing is absent a union absent the ability to collectively bargain now that that's been taken away from us yeah really what else do we have but to job jump if you're not going to value the insight of the people on the ground doing the work mm-hmm. um the you know and i think i know we haven't really gotten to it i don't want to go on for too long but um so you know long story you know to, to kind of speeding up a bit like after that job i was like all right i have to hit the reset button on all of this i think i'm going to go back to doing office work I, i'm going to get out of new york city because it, it, it seems like a lot of these jobs i'm taking here have some common themes where you know, they expect you to come in and do the work right away, and you know, people show up and they're um, always at a you know ten out of ten um, anger level, and it was really emotionally taxing. I was physically spent. Obviously, New York City is expensive, and none of those jobs paid well enough to really make it a sustainable enterprise. Yeah. I had interests outside of that. I wanted to go back to school, pursue creative projects, which I had no time to do at that point. So, hit the reset button. Moved out to the Midwest, uh, where um, my wife is from, um, and you know, sh- slowly but surely, like I was able to uh, move into a career back in admin work, and it took a minute. Um, and you know, by and large, even though um, I've, I've made a couple moves since, um, you know, I'm not jumping as much, but 
know, if I hadn't made, if I hadn't been lucky enough and fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to do that, um, that would have continued. And I just wonder about, you know, and, and I, my concern and my heart is always for the people who can't do that. Um, yeah. Who, you know, they have no choice but to leave and then get judged adversely for that and who are withheld from employment because they're thought of as, and I hate this term, I really abhor this term, a flight risk. Mm-hmm. I actually have only, I had a very different interpretation of what that term meant versus like somebody explaining like, oh, it just means like, well, um, anyway. um, but yeah, so I, um, but, but I, I, I wonder about that. It's, it's, it's like in this, in America where, um, employment is tied to healthcare, is tied to wages, is tied to your ability to live. You know, I went through a period um, when I made the transition and my move out where I kept getting turned away from jobs because the feedback that I was able to get was, oh, well, we think you'll leave because you've left other jobs. Uh, oh, well, you know, we don't think you're serious enough about staying committed. And it's mm-hmm. like, you're making a judgment. We haven't been able to discuss in the interview why I left those jobs. You have to just exchange pleasantries with each other and platitudes. So if you're not going to actually dig into why that is, and you're not even going to look at the fact that, like, I made this move to see if I could stem the tide of that. Yeah. If you're going to ignore that context, I moved 1,200 miles across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never lived here before because I sensed I could make a more stable you know, career out there. Absolutely. If you're going to ignore all that, and I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. And not to mention all the people who are in that same scenario. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, and, and it feels, you know, it, it, that's just the, what happens when all context is is stripped away and you are forced to, you know, interact um, like almost purely on, you know, corporate speak or corporate think um, because, it, yeah, it, it, there, there's no room for explanation um and n- no actually genuinely getting to know you um and 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 it's kind of like it, it almost goes with the assumption that like you just left these jobs willy-nilly like you didn't have any um like like you didn't think it through you know like like it's a um mm-hmm. just a, a dark mark on your record uh and, and there's no uh room for for the reasons why or and really it's 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 a huge shield uh for like criticism of like the corporate structures right like like oh the people that 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 jump these jobs or they can't even take it a year um we're not even going to talk to them we're not going to hear what they have to say about how we run things like they're the you know they're the bad ones they're the ones that are in the wrong not us who who are driving all these people away you know like it, it's it, it's a shield for criticism, and the people that hang on a lot of times are 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 the ones that that don't have the means to leave, or they're the ones that you know maybe look the other way um, when it comes to the these these structural issues. Exactly. Yeah, I think you know, um, and I, I think I touched on this in our initial conversation. Um, before the, the the episode, but you know, when I went back to school, I my main interest in research because I just became so fixated on it was why do people leave jobs? Yeah, what are, what are the decision points involved in 
writing off this whole group of people, um, I don't like. I, I had this sneaking suspicion that it wasn't based on any research. Um, you know, companies would say like, "Well, you know, the employee turnover is bad for this and that reason." I was like, "Okay, well, what can companies do? What can nonprofits do to, um, you know, um, to limit that?" And um, I'll just pass along. You know, I had to actually go look back and look at my capstone project, but there's a paper by. Um, and I think the study was replicated. Um, uh, so I'm going to drop it here. S.E. Kim and J.W. Lee. It's called his Mission Attachment and Effective Management Tool for Employee Retention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I think that's the original and then it was replicated years later. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's the replication, but it's worth reading anyway. Um, and I could send this to you, um, you know, if yeah, you want to put that out there. But uh, but W.A. Brown and C.F. Yoshioka um, in 2003, the original study is called Mission Attachment and Satisfaction as Factors in Employee Retention. So when I was doing my, my like final capstone project for my uh, degree, my master's degree uh, in uh, basically public administration, I wanted to really focus on um, what can I, – I did a study of a uh, nonprofit and, you know, put out a survey, and I was looking at the results of that against – these, um, you know, actual like hard academic studies of this topic, and especially in the nonprofit sector. And you know, maybe I'll kind of because I know we're you know getting maybe towards time, but um, but I I want to put this out there for the nonprofit sector and something for folks to think about because I think it crosses all sectors. Mm-hmm. Studies found both of them that mission because in in the nonprofit sector you'll find a lot that you know. People will get guilted into staying into jobs, but don't you care about the mission? Or don't you care? This happened to me in one of my job jumps many years ago when I was at a nonprofit. Don't you care about your team? Don't you care about your mm. um, the clients? Or, or of course I do. I also need to get paid, yeah. and this is not about being greedy. This is I'm barely making rent. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I you know want to have a fulfilling life. Um, and I'm not going to be able to do that on the wages and conditions that, you know, and, and practically speaking, you know, from, you know, cause I always like, not that I at all, you know, internalizing this stuff, but I like to also think about it from the company's perspective. Cause I just try to think of anything I can do to say, I exhausted all reasons to give you to change your mind. Sure. You know, like, let's say that, you know, uh, something happened like we saw over COVID um, where, you know, prices for consumer goods shot up to the point where people are struggling to, you know, afford food or especially now with housing, we have a massive housing crisis in this country for affordable housing. Something like that happens. Um, obviously it's been happening, but if it happens in a short time frame and shoots up to a um, strong you know degree or whatever, um, you're not, and you're not going to budge on, on not paying me, this is not going to work. <laughs> like I'm going to not be able to afford to work for you. I don't know who you're going to be able to afford to put in this position, but it's going to affect your business because somebody will have no choice, but to either quit or I don't know what. Right. So, yeah. um, Oh, that's so the papers show like, yeah, we did it. They did studies of nonprofits and they found, yeah, no, it's not enough. People are not going to stick around by, you know, you saying mission, 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 you have to pay them. It's an incredible um, short-sightedness, isn't it? And and I I think that's uh that's kind of the name of the game in just the corporate world as a whole. It, you know, when it comes down to the the nonprofit sector, I also feel like there there's probably an insidious incentive they try to push on you where it's like 
you know, like kind of like what what you were saying where you got to pay rent, but then they're like, well, don't you care about the work we do? Don't you care about helping people? Like, yeah, of course, but that's that that <laughs> that, that doesn't help me survive. Like, uh, and and it's just been so. Um, like the that philosophy has kind of been trickled down so much that it's like even the people uh at, at the top that are like repeating it uh, you know maybe they don't even think about it critically um and, yeah. and so it's yeah it's it's kind of nuts yeah i mean the logic of the you know austerity especially uh as a you know reducing everybody's quality of life because we all need to tighten our belts has um, been shown to, um, you know, dramatically affect people's livelihoods. Um, you know, this notion that we all need to, like, live with less is like, well, obviously not everybody's living with less. Um, you know, there are people in our um, society that have never had to deal with that. But, you know, it's always pushed on us as we all need to tighten our belts because whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that... That's been it's been a damaging thing, but in general, you know, the adoption of the the market based logic to you know the nonprofit sector, and I'm starting to see pushback, which is good um, by drips and drabs. But you know, um, it, it, austerity doesn't just affect people on an individual level. I mean, that you know, to, but 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 companies like it affects the quality of the work that's being done. Hundred um, percent. You know, can't hire people at the appropriate rate. Um, you know, you're not going to get the commit. You want commitment, but you don't want to pay for it. And this is like the, you know, it, 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 anyway, it's a theme I see, you know, keeps coming up. They want want all the skills on, you know, um, for no money. And it just, it, it's, it's just a damn indictment to me of like, it, you wouldn't go out and look for, the cheapest, like if you had a home repair, some people do go and just find the cheapest for whatever reason. But like, you know, where you want to send your kids to a school, whatever. Like, like in your personal life, you wouldn't necessarily try to get like, you know, that. Like, you'd be okay with paying maybe a little bit more because of a feeling of quality. But yeah. somehow that doesn't apply when you're hiring people. Um, and I, I, I challenge people, and maybe this is, you know, um, I'm happy to keep going, but also I want to be mindful of your time. Um, I challenge people to, to really explore that logic, you know, um, it, it, cause it, it, it's not, it doesn't always show up the way you would expect it to, but the way that the, the philosophy of austerity. So again, um, you know, the, the constant push to do more for less, um, and the logic of the, you know, for-profit market as, um, you know, will applying those to your business without really thinking it through um, will damage it um, inevitably. At some point, you will, you know, um, be it, you know, crappy product quality, uh-huh. employee turnover, which does cost you money, whatever it is, I challenge companies to challenge the logic of, um, you know, wanting to get all of the skills for no money and then also, like, if you don't want to let, I guess, employees unionize, um, you, you just give them, just give people what they're asking you for. You like them, if you like them and you like their work and, you know, you say that you want them to be there, what you can to keep them there. Yeah. Now, don't don't yeah. fall back on, like, what you think you're giving them or, like, just, just draw up a list of how what you're doing is compared to other Don't do that. 
work I, with them directly. Yep. That relationship. So. I I couldn't agree anymore. And you know, I feel like uh, it, it 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 is this thing that I've I've touched upon before, but it's it's like you know they're, they're kind of prioritizing like the profits for this quarter, you know, and it, it's, it's, it's just like a, a mass, you know, massive short sightedness that, I mean, really like overall the big, big, big picture, it's like, this is going to be like what, what leads humanity to the grave, you know, is like prioritizing profits over fucking like long-term survival and, and, um, uh, you know, thriving as as a species and as 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 a society like it, it's just yeah it's it's like super limited thinking like yeah of course starving your employees of of proper wages is going to um cut into the quality of work you perform whether it's because they're leaving or because they're fucking mentally and physically and emotionally drained every day like it's 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 going to make the quality of your work worse which is going to lead to less people wanting to work with you which is going to lead to less money which is going to lead to the end of your company like it just you know these are not like complicated uh leaps in logic here like like it's just it's it's yeah that that's what happens when you don't do this like it's it really feels like you know grade school it's it's just a lot of ignorance yeah it seems it seems you know elementary, but for um, whatever reason, um, you know, sometimes that gets lost in the fog of I guess the private sector short term profits. But again, um, you know, I, there's a lot of factors I think that uh, drive that kind of thinking, um, and, and it's tough because you know I mean with anything that has a cultural element to it, when you talk about like needing to change the culture. I mean, there's a lot that goes to it, but again, I think, you know, the easiest thing you can do is look at the material benefits. Um, I guess, you know, for me, you know, the final example I think of, this was a recent thing. Did you see the whole chair company uh, thing with the CEO scolding people at the leaked Zoom call? I I was going to bring that up. um, You know, one of the the last few things you were saying made me think of that. Yes, I, 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 I have seen it. No, I, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that on the call because, so, you know, this was like, uh, I, I, I keep saying Herman Miller. I know that's not the name of the company. It's the name of the chair whatever. Um, but I think, you know, when people listen back, they'll hear like, oh, yeah, the Herman Miller. So basically, there's just like a leaked Zoom call of the CEO explaining why the, you know, um, employees weren't going to get their bonus this year. And, you know, the call goes from like, um, and, and kind of, I don't know if I would say like calm, like, um, but just a bunch of like empty platitudes about, oh, you got to work hard, you got to do this, got to do that. And then all of a sudden, halfway through the call, the CEO takes this really scolding tone and then kind of starts like insulting people and then yep. gets really angry. And, and it's such a weird thing because I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, first of all, you know, this person took a bonus, but you know, um, it's like a $4 million uh, bonus for them. And nothing took for the $4 million bonus. the employees. Yeah. yeah. Nothing for the employees and is explaining to them why, you know, they can't have nice things. So first of all, you remove the material benefit, which is um, the bonus. You know, if you think about things, you know, I like to think about things in terms of material benefits. You know, I guess the, you know, the mainstream economy, economists would talk about it in terms of um, incentives. Well, you took away the incentive, right, to, to work hard. And now you're 
you know, starting to talk about these like really ephemeral, squishy things like um, leading and all this other stuff. And it's like that that's those aren't incentives. And that's not like, how do you know? And how can you say people aren't doing that? You know, it's an awful, convenient, awfully convenient excuse to fall back on. Um, to to like name some squishy thing people you think aren't doing that they should be. Yep. It's like well you took away the material benefit, um, and you're not being honest about why you did that, um, and then you turn around and insult them. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you not realize what you're doing? Like you you show this contempt for your employees. Um, I, I got to imagine, you know, we're going to see, I, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, at least we start to see mass resignations from there. It's like, in the absence of a material benefit, you can at least, um, I don't want to talk about leadership, you could do something to soothe their concerns. You didn't do that either. So what do you think people are going to want to work for you for? You look at it, mm-hmm. this is the nonprofit sector, they can pretend that the mission is enough. Um, the, you know, the, this person was speaking to things that would be equivalent to the mission in the nonprofit sector, but it's like, well, but ultimately we make chairs. It's not to demean the work of anybody in the organization, but it's like, I can do that. Like, you don't have a, a mission maybe that's unique enough. I can go do that for another company where the boss isn't a jerk. Or, you know, I can get a bonus. Yeah. Or if we don't get a bonus, at least I don't get talked down to. Exactly, and, yeah. And so this is my whole thing is like you you – it, 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 I, I watch this stuff sometimes, and I'm like, "Are you really that oblivious?" Uh huh. Yeah. What, what was it, going through your head when you do that? For real. I mean, you know, sadly, I, I, I think the answer has to be yes. They, they are. I mean, or, and like, you know, I know that that this is a uh, pretty well known talking point, but like, like, yeah, you know, our society kind of primes the most narcissistic, manipulative assholes to get to the top, and like, I think a video like. Like that leak is is a, a clear example of that, where like a, a a switch is flipped, and then you know she just kind of you know goes off on them, and and I mean just it is extremely condescending and and rude, and uh, just does not acknowledge um, anybody's feelings or or you know any of of the uh, the hypocrisy there. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I I do hope that you know because it, it it does seem like there is a, a a bit of a sea change that the winds are are moving a bit differently now. You know, we 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 do kind of get these videos and have have mass uh, amounts of people kind of pushing back on these assholes. And then you know, I know she had to kind of come out with some sort of half-hearted apology. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> which, which I mean, I, I forget exactly what she said, but it 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 seemed pretty pathetic. Um, it, so so yeah, I, I I think that that the winds of change are blowing. Um, it's yeah, it's just it's hard to know when the you know the the straw that breaks the camel's back will will happen. I mean, because as as we kind of you know move move onwards and in, in like this like declining empire you know and whatever we go into a recession you know things are gonna get worse so it it's just kind of gets to a point where it's like something like something's got to give and uh uh the ride down is 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 pretty maddening and entertaining at the same time um 
but if if we can get our shit together, you know, as as workers, I think it would be I think it could be great. Um so so hopefully we can you know, mobilize and make it happen. Absolutely. Solidarity, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um it's the path forward. We got to figure out um what that looks like. Um and you know, it's it's not going to be an easy path forward, but um you know, I uh I, I, um, you know, my, my thinking on the whole thing has gotten so much clearer over the years. And I'm like, yeah, the only way forward is, is, to you know, identify that, you know, our relationship to work as the providers of the work. Um, and again, you know, when we talk about job jumping and, you know, as from the other end, they talk about it as job hopping. It's like, this is what you got. When you destroyed unions. This is what you got. You know, you talk about consequences all the time. If you don't want to get let people unionize, you get them to job hop. You know, you, you can't have consequence-free destruction of workers' lives. You have to deal with something. So, um, you know, that's, um, I guess, you know, yeah. that's, that's uh, the sum total of what I have to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 you know, thank you for, for that awesome rundown. I feel like... I feel like there there's still a lot of things we uh we we haven't gotten to so so I I would love to have you on the podcast again at some point. Um plus I I uh one final question to wrap things up I guess for for brevity's sake cuz we're right we're, we're nearing the hour and a half mark. Um what would your life look like, Dan, if you didn't need to work and all of your needs were met. Like, what what things would you prioritize? Would it look totally different? Would it look, you know, more or less the same? Um, but if if this this whole runaround, this 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 sick game that we have to play with with each other uh, didn't exist, what what would your life look like? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, as you asked that back in, I'm thinking back to um, my early jumps. After I worked for the law firm and I took a little time off um, before going back and um, working as a temp. Um, and in that time, it was like maybe a month or two, um, you know, I just pretty much went to the park every day, um, you know, brought a book, read, enjoyed. It was the summertime. I enjoyed the weather. Um, I, you know, it was a time to, to be contemplative without, um, you know, getting down in the dumps. Um, so I would say, you know, something akin to that, something where I could, um, you know, spend the, it, it's, it's, uh, spring here in my part of the country and the flowers are blooming and all I'd like to do sometimes is go outside, you know, sometimes they say, Oh, you can't stop and smell the roses or whatever. Actually, I'd like to do that. And I think yeah. more people, um, would benefit from doing that because, um, we only have so much time to share with each other here on the earth and there's so much beauty and there's so much that the earth has to share with us. I, I'm, you know, I'm starting to sound like, uh, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my, my hippie's coming out here too, but it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, I would, I'd be outside, I'd be reading books. And then when I'm inside, I'm watching movies. Um, I'm playing guitar. I'm making funny, silly music with my friends. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just, you know, um, learning, you know, how to be a better person by not, being in community with others. Well, you so, know, yeah, pretty much that. When you're right, you're right. When you're right, you're right. Hippie or not, <laughs> you know. Uh, right. I, I, I think that uh, it's a great note to end on. Um, Dan, 
did you uh, want to plug anything, any shout-outs, anything you want me to put in the episode description? I'd be more than happy to. Sure. Um, I think for the time being, I want to direct folks to who... I'm trying to start a new thing on TikTok where uh, I've avoided TikTok, you know, for a while. I kept the app just when my friends would share links, Mm -hmm. but I was always, like, worried I would get into the rabbit hole of just, like, looking at videos all day. Yeah. So I've still turned off notifications on my phone, but I'm just trying to – one of my, like, side things I do is I sell stuff online. And um, I find, like, every now and then people just post very strange things that they're trying to sell or (laughs) – Whatever it may be. So um, I'm on TikTok at, it's at TP for the soul hole. That's um, <laughs> T's and Tom, P for, like TP, you know, the Beavis and Butthead joke, but yes. TP for the soul hole. Yes. <laughs> um, I just starting up. Yeah, I'm just like sharing videos of like weird stuff I find for sale. Probably going to start dropping more videos of my cats on there. But um, Hell yeah. Yeah, Hell just yeah. having, just having, just having fun with people like, you know, posting weird stuff online, um, you know, um, and then... Yeah, I think you know. When I, you know, hopefully, I have the opportunity to come back sometime. I would share my Bandcamp, but I have not touched that in three years, and I need to do some tweaking there. So um, I got gotcha. you. When it's ready, we'll talk about that. When it's ready, it's ready. But we'll let him cook these, yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, that's thank you. Yeah, and um, also, yeah, on Facebook, if you want to hit me up, I'm at um, if you go to facebook.com, I think forward slash hello fresher. Um, like the company HelloFresh, but HelloFresher. Um, if you want to add me on there, I don't really post that much. I only really just, you know, I'm there for like Facebook groups and selling stuff. But Sweet. Um, it's always a good way to like hit me up um, if you um, want to chat some more or, yeah, just want to hang out sometime. But no, Connor, thank you so much for having me on the yeah. show. This was an awesome conversation. Hey, Dan, my pleasure. Um, you know, good luck with everything. And uh, yeah, let's let's talk again sometime soon, okay? Absolutely. Let's be in touch. Take care. Yeah, you as well. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. There you have it. A big thank you again to Dan D for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our chat. Um, if you want to follow Dan D on TikTok, as mentioned, uh, he has uh, maybe the best TikTok username that I have ever witnessed. That's TP for the soul hole. Like instead of bong hole, soul hole. You get it? I will be linking that in the uh, episode description. Um, also, get them on Facebook at facebook.com slash HelloFresher. I will also be linking that in the show notes. If you are a job jumper or you know of somebody that is a job jumper, uh, please, please, please get in touch. I really, really want to talk to all of you. I, uh, I want to make a difference. I want to make it okay to talk about how, uh, you know... Sometimes you feel like a failure because no, no job works for you. Um, you know, you, you, you feel like a, uh, a square peg trying to fit into a round hole like I felt my entire life. Um, I really want to connect with a lot of people who uh, feel similarly. Um, so, so that's my aim. Please, please, please get in touch. You can reach out to us at jobjumperspod at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on social media at JobJumpersPod, both on Twitter and Instagram. Again, at JobJumpersPod. Uh, please, please, please rate and review on uh, Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you can review podcasts. Um, you know, give us give us a good rating because uh, you know personally, I think I think we deserve it. I think we deserve it. But uh, I know this is a long one, so I'll get out of your hair. 
Uh, most importantly, folks, keep jumping. <laughs>